Welcome to day two of our look through Matthew chapter 27. All hearts are made clear at this moment of the cross of Christ. The pretense is stripped away and the reality of our need for Jesus' love is clearly seen. And the reality of our reaction to that need for Jesus' love is clearly, very clearly seen. I want to read for you a longer section of this chapter, beginning in verse 11 and down through verse 26. And I want you to hear with me the reaction of a number of different people. Listen for the reaction of Pilate and of the religious leaders and of the crowd that was there that day. And also look through this, all through this, for the reaction, the response of Jesus. Beginning in verse 11. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? And the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. As you watch these final moments before Jesus is sent to the cross, you see the heart of everyone laid very clear. Pilate had a heart of fear. Pilate's questions to Jesus are more a confession than a cross-examination. Are you the king of the Jews? If Pilate had listened, he would have discovered that Jesus was a different kind of king. We're told elsewhere that Jesus tells Pilate that he has a kingdom that's not of this world. He is a king who would tell the truth. What is truth? He is a king who is rejected by his own people. I am a king. It's very clear that Jesus is a king. This is Pilate's crucial moment. Jesus is the king of kings, but he is not able to hear it because of his fears. Pilate is a tortured, frightened man as he tries to decide what to do with Jesus. And his wife comes up and says, this is an innocent man. You can't have this happen. Pilate still has to go ahead with the direction the crowd is leading him. He represents so many of us. He's a man trying to be in control rather than recognizing the one who is in control of everything, the one who's standing right in front of him. All through these last moments of Jesus' life, we see the contrast. 
It's the Roman army that's supposed to be in power. But we saw last week as they tried to arrest him even, that we saw that Jesus is Lord. It's the Jewish court that's supposed to be the example of righteousness, but Jesus is the innocent one. It's Pilate that's supposed to represent the king, the Caesar, but Jesus is the king. And so Pilate does what he does not intend to do just because the crowd tells him to do it. His fears cause him to follow the crowd rather than his conscience, rather than the advice of his wife. When you compare the Gospels, they show that Pilate pronounces Jesus guiltless seven different times. So why didn't he release him? He would only release him if there was no cost to it. He would only release him if it benefited him. And we do the same. We have to admit that we have some of the same tendencies as a Pilate. We have fears in our lives. We want to do what is right to the point of it causing some loss in our lives. It is frightening to see how easily all of us can slip into the weakness of Pilate. C.S. Lewis said, Pilate was merciful until it became risky. And for many of us, we struggle with this. We have a heart of compassion until it becomes risky. We'll proclaim our faith until it becomes risky. We want everyone to think well of us, no one to say bad of us. We want it to all work out well. We don't want to cause any waves. Whatever the fear is, it keeps us in these important moments of life from standing up for our faith. In these moments, these crucial moments, we need God's strength so that we're ready, we're willing to face whatever the loss might be because we know that there's greater loss in denying our faith in that moment, denying the one who has given us so much. So you see in Pilate this heart of fear. You see in the rulers, well, the Bible tells us clearly, Pilate knew they had a heart of envy. Verse 18, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Their excuses were very theological, but the problem with their hearts is that they were rotten to the core with jealousy over the popularity of Jesus, over Jesus' teaching and ministry. They wanted what Jesus had. And so their envy caused them to begin to talk to the crowd and say, ask for Barabbas, ask for Barabbas. And you turn to the crowd and you see in the crowd a heart of disappointment. Two times Pilate says to them, don't you want to choose Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one you've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years? Don't you want to set him free? But they say no, because he has disappointed them. He is not the Messiah that they expected. The chief priest stirred up the crowd. Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd. The chief priest stirred up the crowd. They're all using the crowd. The crowd is being used because of their disappointment. When you live in disappointment, others will start to use you. They will use your disappointment to try to get what they want. Now, many times it's been asked, how did this crowd turn so quickly from worshiping Jesus one week earlier as he came in in the triumphal entry, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus, throwing the palm branches down, to hear asking for Barabbas. How did this happen? Partly, it was a different crowd. All of Jesus' followers have fled. They're not in this crowd, but there were some in common. And the reason was their motivation. Jesus had not done what they expected him to do, and so they rejected him. They rejected him. They expected him to come in and usher in a new kingdom, to come against the ruling authorities and to become the authority, not to be being condemned by Pilate. They wanted him chasing Pilate out of town. And so they rejected him because he didn't meet their expectations. Now, before we judge this crowd too harshly, has Jesus ever not done what you expected him to do? How did you react? We all have to face these moments. And through these moments, realize we need a different kind of faith, a faith that's not based on what I expected Jesus to do, but a faith that's based on what I know, what I know, and that is I can trust him, even if he doesn't meet my expectations. 
This crowd says, his death, his blood be upon us and our children. They didn't know what they were saying. And Pilate said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. What he really needed was innocence through this man's blood, Jesus' blood. What the crowd needed was not to say, his death be upon us and our children, but they needed to say, the power of his blood be upon us and our children. Even as the cross is approaching, the meaning of it is getting clearer and clearer. Everyone's heart is made clear in these last moments. Barabbas's heart, we don't hear much about him. Books and movies have been written about how he might have responded, but the Bible doesn't tell us. We do know that he lived and Jesus died. And because Jesus died, he was given the opportunity to live forever. We don't know the end of the story of Barabbas, but we do know the heart of Jesus in this. All through this, you see the heart of Jesus. And the Bible says again and again that Jesus was mostly silent. He was silent before his accusers, silent before Pilate. Pilate knew the charges against Jesus were from envy. And Pilate knew that he wanted somehow to release Jesus. And Jesus could have said just the right thing. He'd done it before. He could have used just the right phrase and walked away from this situation as well. But he chose to be silent because he was choosing to go to the cross. When you and I are accused sometimes, do we choose to be silent or do we choose to defend ourselves? It depends on the situation. The reason that Jesus chose to be silent in this situation was to do the will of God. There was something more important than defending himself, and that was doing the will of God. And so Jesus begins his journey towards the cross. And even as he starts this journey, you see the sharp contrast between those who ridiculed him and those who served him, those who loved him. You see the soldiers ridicule in verses 27 to 31, some of the most heart-rending verses in all scripture to me. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. And they wore wove thorn branches into a crown, and they put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his hand, his right hand as a scepter. And they knelt before him in mockery, and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. Even in this moment of ultimate love, the soldiers can't see it. They just see what they've always seen, a man who's about to be crucified, someone to have fun with, uh, some game that they played with many, many of their criminals that seemed to make their day happier. They missed the reality of life. They missed God in human flesh right in front of them because they were so caught up in themselves. But alongside of this scene, there's verse 32. Alongside of those who scorned Jesus, there's a man named Simon. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, we know from the book of Romans that this story didn't end here. Simon's family were told of his sons in the book of Romans that came to Christ. I expect from that that Simon himself came to Christ. That's what Christian history tells us. Simon's family became leaders in the early church. For Simon, the reality of the cross was pressed upon him. He did not want it to be that day, but he came to accept the truth of what it meant for his forgiveness. And that may be happening to you, the reality of the cross being pressed upon you. It's not a truth that you want to accept, that you need that kind of forgiveness. It's not a truth that you want to accept that God would have to go to that kind of extent to give you forgiveness. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Simon to carry the cross that day. But there's truth in it, and you see the truth in it. So whether it's the first time you've accepted this truth 
Or maybe you've come to a place where you've begun to take this truth lightly. Our opportunity today is from the heart of Simon, instead of ridiculing or ignoring, that our hearts would turn to him in a new way. And so, Lord, we pray that as we see the reality of the cross, what you did for us, we want our hearts to turn to you. We turn to you for forgiveness. We see in the cross the ugliness of our own sin, and because of that, even as Isaiah says, there's something in us that wants to turn away from that. But Lord, instead, we turn toward it, even if it's pressed upon us, and we see the beauty of your love. We see the beauty of your forgiveness, and we tell you how grateful we are. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, we are grateful for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.